we will get started. I'd like for you, if you would, to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to look at a couple verses there uh, tonight. Before we get there, we'll talk about a couple things. You guys are excited that the Dodgers won last night, right? Just Mervin, just Mervin and I, I think. <laughs> I was hoping Corey and Leah would be here. I was going to rub it in a little bit. About the Cardinals not being there and the Astros not being there. But they're not here tonight. Uh, we've got some folks we need to pray for. We'll, uh, we'll do that in just a minute. Um, I don't think I've got anybody to add to our Caroline's tonight. You guys may have somebody you want me to want me to add. Um, uh, certainly, we want to pray for Dick Smith. He was admitted to the hospital. was having symptoms that they thought might be coronavirus. He, he tested negative for it. They're going to test him again. But he's also um, having some other issues as well. So pray for Dick Smith. That's a new addition to our Caroline. See the update about Donna Hanley's mom. Um, Barbara Milam on there. Good to see Merv uh, with us. I know he was he was here on Sunday, but glad that uh, Merv is, is doing some better and pray that his strength will keep coming back. Um, yeah. Oh, it did. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that. So, They've kept him in the COVID unit until now. He tested the second time negative, so glad to hear that. Moving him out of that part of the hospital. and um, So keep praying for Dick Smith. Anybody we need to add to the care lines? Somebody, any updates or any additions? Have anybody? Yeah, Susan? Clark Mason. That's Mark's cousin, you said? Second cousin. Okay. Uh, well, I know we may have some folks tuning in online as well, so I'll repeat some of this, especially for, for you guys. But Mark Pope's second cousin, Clark Mason, was hunting, fell out of a tree stand about 30 feet or so. So he's at UAB, did you say? All right, that's scary. I'll pray for him, his wife, their children. Um, that's scary. Anybody else want to add? A couple of, uh, you can tell me in just a second, but I want to, if you, if you have anybody else, a um, couple, of, couple of things. We sent an email out, and it's in here tonight about some upcoming changes to our worship and class offerings. At least I thought it was in here. Yeah. It's on, uh, I guess it's on the second page. Uh, <clears throat> There are the Astros and the Cardinals fans right there. I was talking about you guys. Nothing. Uh, um, coming up, starting the first Sunday in December, we're going to go back to just having one service, uh, one worship service on Sunday morning. So it'll be at 10 o'clock, just to give you a heads up on that. So that's um, 
four or five weeks away or whatever. So we'll have a worship service at 10. We'll start back having um, Sunday morning classes at 9 o'clock on that Sunday as well. So there will be kids' classes. Uh, hopefully there will be, I think, three adult classes starting back on that Sunday, December 6th. So if you can be just praying about that and that everything will go well as we uh, make that transition, we'd appreciate that, I know. Um, Wednesday will continue as is for now, and Sunday night will continue with the devotional for now at least, and, but we're thinking about providing some more um, structure and offerings as well on Sunday night. So just to give you an update or uh, an idea about what's, uh, what's coming up. The biggest one, of course, to know right now is December the 6th, there will no longer be the 8 o'clock service, okay? So classes will start at 9, as we did before coronavirus, and then we'll have worship at 10, also like we did before. Kyle wanted me to mention a couple of things um, that are coming up that we need sign up for. And I want to mention one thing just quickly, and we need to get to class. Let me just do this really quickly. Um, the chili cook-off is going to be, this is a new announcement, and we emailed something out recently, but Sunday, November 8th from 4.30 to 6.30 here in, in the back parking lot. Uh, an email was sent out yesterday. It had a, had a link for you. Please sign up to that RSVP. If you want to be a part of the chili cook-off, then uh, you can bring your chili in a crock pot by 4 o'clock. There will be judges. There will be prizes. It's a lot of fun. We've done this the last couple of years. You going to do it, Kyle Bedgood? You going to make some? What? <laughs> All right. All right. Kyle's still sore because he didn't. When? <laughs> Last time, I think. Maybe you'll win this year, Kyle. He no, he doesn't. Okay, one more thing. Oh, yeah, the other thing Kyle wanted me to mention is the HEPA uh, Senior Thanksgiving Luncheon on Sunday, November 22nd. Um, Sign-up sheets are on the back rail back there. One more thing quickly, uh, November 1st, that's this Sunday, we're having the, the uh, Walk for Water 2 to 4 o'clock in the afternoon at Veterans Park. Okay, so uh, hope you'll... Hope you'll be able to come to that. All right, let's pray, let's pray together. Father, thank you for a good day today, for letting us be here tonight to study, to be to, with one another. Uh, we pray for the ones we've just mentioned, especially we pray for Dick Smith, that we're thankful we got a, a second negative test with, for COVID, and we pray that he'll recover and he'll do well and he'll be with the issues she's struggling with right now. Pray for Barbara Milam, uh, Evelyn Richardson, Krista Smith, Joyce Baker, Carol Delker, uh, Brianna Bulger, uh, Mary Pearl Still. We also pray for Mark's cousin, uh, Clark Mason, that um, the injuries will be treatable, that he'll recover, and just, just watch over him, please. Be with his wife and their children. With the things we have going on, we just pray you'll help us to do what we need to do and help us to be a light in, in the community uh, right now especially. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, thanks. Hebrews chapter 4. I hope you'll turn there with me. Last couple verses of this chapter. Let me give you some context of this. We're talking about promises that God makes us, has made us, is making us, and is fulfilling to us. And I want to look at one phrase. Well, we'll look at the, all three verses, but I want to focus in on one phrase as far as the promise is concerned. The last three verses of Hebrews 4, all right? Hebrews 4, starting at verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet 
without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right, so here's the promise that I want to focus in on for, the, for, for our class tonight. And it's in the first part of verse 15. I want to turn it around and make it a positive. We have a high priest who can sympathize with our struggles, with our weaknesses. That promise embedded here in these three verses is so comforting to us. Um, all right, so let me talk about some context here, some background of this. Some of this you may already know, some of this you may not know, but the background of the book of Hebrews is Old Testament stuff. There's a lot of Old Testament background here, all right? And so you got to know a little bit about it in order to read the text right or properly. So talking a lot about high priests, this is going to be the theme of Hebrews 4 all the way to chapter 10. So in, in a lot of ways, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 is like, it's like a, a hinge. Everything before it has been leading up to this, and then you've got this this kind of focal point in these three verses, and then it opens the door to what he's going to be talking about for six chapters. Most folks think the book of Hebrews was originally a sermon, and it was then, it, it reads kind of like a sermon, it's got some admonition, he talks about, I don't have enough time to talk about this or that, every preacher said that at one point or another. So Hebrews is probably a sermon, it was written down, and so here's the transition point. He's, made, he's going from this idea of Jesus being a great messenger and a, a greater than Moses. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than, what, um, yeah, mess, greater messenger than Moses, than the angels. He's a greater apostle, and um, he's a better priest. And that's where we begin talking about here, what, what we begin studying here. All right, so the background is, you remember in the Old Testament, Leviticus 16 is where this is talked about in great detail. There's um. There's a Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which was that big day. It was a high and holy day on the Jewish calendar. Once a year, it was the day when they would make all these preparations. I mean, they were extensive. It was a big deal. It was a day of mourning, a day of national repentance. And so the high priest would engage in all these things. This is where you've got the story about the scapegoat, Azazel, uh, he's called in uh, Leviticus 16, being released the, the high priest puts his hands on the head of the goat and releases them, you know, symbolizing all the sins going out into the wilderness. Takes another goat. Um, he, kills, uh, he kills the goat. He takes the blood. Now, this is important for you to remember. I mean, this is, this is weird stuff for us as Christians who don't do this sort of thing. But he takes the blood. He's done all this preparation. All right, just the high priest. He's taken a bath. He's changed clothes. He's got on the holy garments. Um, he, he goes and takes his blood and he goes inside the outer room, which is the holy place, and then he parts the, the veil and he walks inside the inner sanctum, the most holy place. And he takes that blood and he sprinkles it there. It's a huge deal for this to happen. And what he's doing is he is confessing the sins of all the people. He's going in before God. He's taking the blood. And this is supposed to be a sweet-smelling aroma to God. And God looks down. He smells, as it were, smells the blood, and he grants absolution for the sins of the people. So he passes through the veil. He's got the blood. He makes the offering. He leaves, and the people are free, in a sense, for another year. 
And then next year, there will be the Day of Atonement again, and the year after that, and the year after that, and the year after that. And that's a, a, a theme that is the background of, of Hebrews in a lot of ways. So look at verse 14. Now, with that background, I, I hope it'll help you to read this a little bit differently. Verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through, through what? He's passed through the heavens. See, what the writer is doing, what the preacher here is doing is he's saying, just as a high priest passed through the veil and he went into that most holy place, so Jesus has passed through the veil at the ascension and he has gone into the holy of holies. He's gone into the throne room of God and he's taken not the blood of a lamb, not the blood of a goat, not the blood of a bull, but he's taken his own blood and he has, as it were, like sprinkled the blood there before the throne room, in the throne room of God. You know, they're just, it's pretty cool how everything ties together. Jesus dying on the cross. We've talked about this before. He's dying on the cross. And there's this eclipse that happens for a span of three hours. There's the earthquake. And, 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 and you remember when the earthquake came that it was such a strong force that the veil in the temple was, was torn in, in two. You know, signifying what? Because of the blood of Jesus, the veil is open. And Jesus went into heaven. You know, the heavens, Acts chapter 1, the heavens parted and received him. And so he parted the heavens and he's gone into the throne room of God. All right. So that's the background of what he's talking about. The language is just, it helps us to think about all these ways that the text ties in together and how Jesus fulfills things that we need. So he's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. That, that language there in verse 14, probably when he, when he refers to him as Jesus, the Son of God. You know the name Jesus was a common name, very, very common name. It uh, wasn't a special name. It had special significance because of Jesus, of course, but Jesus was a common name. And um, some, some scholars think here that when he calls him, the he um, that he's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, that he's emphasizing the identity of Jesus as a man. He's Jesus, common name, but yet he's the Son of God. He is, you know, the Son of God. That language means equal to God. And so he's man, he's God. And that's going to be the focus of this promise that he's making us down below. So let us hold fast our confession. I want to come back to that because that's really the application of this. And that's what we do because of the promise that's made in verse 15. Okay, so verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without, without sin. Now, I know this is a Wednesday night crowd, and you guys have, most of you have been in church for a long time, but it's easy for us to forget how huge it was for God to become a person. And that's the, that's the emphasis here. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We don't, we don't have a high priest who doesn't know what it's like to suffer. We don't know, we don't have a high priest who, who doesn't know what it's like to be tempted. We don't, we don't have, our, our faith is not in a being out there somewhere. 
you know, we don't, we don't worship a God who is simply out there, who sovereignly rules over everything. He does that. We have a God with us. We have an Emmanuel. We have God with us. You think about how that con- contrasts with Hinduism, with Buddhism, with Islam, even with the Jewish faith prior to Jesus Christ. Christianity is unique over against the other world religions in, the, in that our God walked among us. That's huge. Again, I know you guys already know this, but maybe we need to think about it again, especially in times of suffering, in times of struggle, in times of persecution. Because it is one thing to know in some sort of intellectual way or in some sort of conceptual way, I know that God cares. Like, we think about God tells us that He cares, and so we assume that He's telling us the truth on that. That's one thing. And we have that. But we've got more than that. We've got... We've got Jesus who walked the dusty streets of Palestine. You know, he got his, he's got his, got his feet and hands dirty. That's, that's what we've got. We've got God getting dirt under his fingernails, you know. We've got God walking. And, and I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I guess as human beings, we wish the New Testament had been more clearer on some or maybe given us some more details about it. But we get some glimpses of this, of, of Jesus experiencing what it means to be a human being. Uh, but you think about it, just the elements that we do know, Jesus born in a manger, you know, the smelly environment amidst the, amidst the farm animals. Uh, you know, he... He cried like every other baby. You know, he wet his diaper like every other baby. He struggled to take those first few steps as a one-year-old little boy. Um, he, we don't know what he was like as an adolescent. We, we got the glimpse of his having something beyond what most of us have experienced in our own adolescence and that of our children, but we see him when he's 12 uh, we, we assume that Jesus went through the normal things of growing up, experiencing going through puberty and going through the difficulties of your body changing, you're getting older and just experiencing those things. But I don't think it's irreverent for us to talk about that. And it, it might help us a little bit just to kind of walk with Jesus as he grew into a, a young man. I know he's God, and we don't need to de-emphasize that at all to the exclusion of his humanity, but neither do we need to, let, to, need to allow his deity to, to make us reluctant to talk about his humanity. Because all these words are used to describe him being a person. And, 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 and like with the Gospel of John in particular, you've got, you've got the, uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word is with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He created everything. Nothing that was created uh, was created without his will. John 1, 1 through 3, and then the Word became flesh. You know, the Word was made flesh and tabernacled or dwelled among us, John 1, 14. And then you go through John's gospel and, 
And you know, one of the earliest heresies that the church faced was called Gnosticism. It got full-blown in the second century. You see hints of it in the New Testament, just little hints. At near the end of the first century, you know, it was kind of gaining ground. It, it blossomed in the second and third century. Gnosticism was this idea. One particular version of Gnosticism was that because they had this, let me back up just for a second, they had this dualistic idea of spirit, flesh, spirit's good, flesh is bad, and the two can't, like God can't take on human flesh. And so Gnosticism was this sect, this heresy that, that arose out of Greek culture, but within the church, and it emphasized this dual nature of Jesus. And so because spirit, God is good, and flesh Humanity is bad. You cannot have spirit and flesh united. And so there were these, these guys called um, Docetic Gnostics, D-O-C-E-T-I-C. Um, Docetism was this kind of particular flavor of this. And it was this notion, it's from a, a Greek uh, verb, dokeo, which means to seem, to seem. The idea was that Jesus, he seemed like he had a body but he didn't actually have a body. So it was like an illusion. It was because flesh and spirit, spirit of God, perfect, flesh of, of man, evil, you can't, you can't have those two inhabiting the same space. And so I'm not saying this was going around in Hebrews, all right? I'm not saying that. It's, it's, it's later. But... That's one of the things that they had to face. And, and I do think because it's going to, especially in John's Gospel, which I think was written near the end of the first century, probably the latest, latest one we got, John and, and Revelation, first and second and third John as well, written probably in the last decade of the first century when some of this stuff was getting off the ground. And so you see in John's Gospel this emphasis. The Word was God, verse 1 through 3. The Word became flesh, verse 14. And so then through John's Gospel you see these this dual emphasis. You see him in John 4, stopping at the well of Jacob the, and, and Sychar. Why? Because he was tired. Uh, you see in John 6, this, this uh, flesh-blood discussion, some of the disciples turn away from him, and Jesus, it seems like almost with a wistful tone, turns to the disciples and says, are you going to leave me as well? Just a very human thing to say. You guys going to leave me too? Um, John... John 11, when he went to the tomb of his good friend Lazarus, and Mary and Martha were, cry were crying, and everybody was crying, this wailing going on. And the text just says that Jesus cried, you know? He cried. Um, John, John's gospel is the only one. It's uh, John, where is it? Um, John 19 or John 21? It's John 19. Uh, Jesus is hanging on the cross. We know he said seven things. If you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but John's the only one who tells us that Jesus, while hanging from the cross, said, I'm thirsty. You know, it's, just, it's interesting that you've got these, these, little, these little things there, little John dropping these things in there. We know one of the, based on what doctors tell us, uh, that one of the worst things about dying by crucifixion is the, is the, uh, loss of body fluids and extreme thirst that a person would experience. It's no surprise that Jesus would simply, uh, would simply cry out with a, with a parched mouth. I, I'm, I'm thirsty. You know, very human thing to say. So, 
there's this there's this emphasis, but also in John, uh, lest we emphasize the humanity to the exclusion of the deity of Jesus, uh, John gives us the great I am statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14. I am the resurrection and the life, John 11. Uh, I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Those are in John 10. Uh, I am the light of the world. So on. I am, I am, I am. Before Abraham was, I am in John 8, 58. And so you've got these, um, these I am, which are, which are God statements, you know, God statements intermingled with the humanity. So here's the thing, you know, for, for us, and, and the reason I, I wanted to emphasize this promise, when he says this, verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We've got one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So let's take just a few minutes and think about what that, what that means, that Jesus was a person. Real flesh and blood person. Uh, he, you know, he got discouraged, he got thirsty, he got hungry, he got tired. He got disappointed in the people around him. It really, really hurt when they put those nails in his hands and his feet. When he was in the wilderness in Matthew 4, those were real temptations. Real temptations. There's this 2,000-year-old scholarly debate about, I don't know if I even ought to mention it, but it centers around this verse. I don't, ultimately, I don't, I don't know that it matters a great deal where you end up on it, but it's the idea of could Jesus have sinned? Being God, could Jesus have sinned? God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt anyone, James tells us in James 1. So some people say, well, Jesus could not have been actually tempted in the sense, he, he could have been tempted, but he couldn't, he couldn't have done it. Like, he couldn't have done it. So it seems as if, at least from my perspective, it seems as if if it were not possible for him to have succumbed to temptation, then would there have been a temptation? Again, that's, there's this, there's a lot of, lot of, um, a lot of debate about that, but I think regardless of where we end up on that, like the, the statement is, was Jesus able not to sin, or was Jesus not able to sin? If you think about those two expressions, was Jesus able not to sin, or was Jesus able to not sin, or was he not able to sin? You see the difference in those two ways of thinking about it? Ultimately, I think we we got to come to this place. Whatever it was that he experienced in the wilderness in Matthew 4 and throughout his life as he was tempted, it was a real temptation. Sometimes I've been asked and sometimes I've wondered, you know, well, Jesus wasn't tempted to... Uh, he wasn't tempted to uh, do things on the Internet that he shouldn't have. He wasn't tempted by some of the modern expressions that we have. And that would be true, but in principle, all, all, all temptations have as their source anger, or greed, or hatred, or lust. Um, 
Jesus, pride, yeah, pride of life. Uh, you know, Matthew 4, in, in a way, represents the various struggles that all of us have and that Adam and Eve succumbed to. But Jesus was tempted like we are. Now, specifically, before we run out of time, um, what the Hebrews were tempted, especially right now, is they were tempted to give up on their confession because of the pressure they were feeling from the world. And I think right here, and you, you look in chapter, was it 5? You have chapter 5, verse 8. Um, you, Jesus felt that same temptation. Like the, the, the main temptation I think he's dealing with right here is the Hebrews were being persecuted, or persecution was beginning. They were thinking about, maybe some of them were giving up on their faith. And so the main way that Jesus modeled for them, and maybe for us, this resistance to the temptation is that he too was tempted to give up. Uh, Hebrews 5 is going to talk about the, the Garden of Gethsemane and alludes to it. Jesus, when he was in the garden, oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He was, he was tempted to allow the pressure of the world and of, of the flesh to cause him to fall short of accomplishing what, what he was put here to do. The Hebrews were the same. They were, they were being tempted to give in to the pressure of the world and to stop running the race. And so throughout the book of Hebrews, you've got this keep on. You've got to keep on. So a word of encouragement to us, uh, maybe a word that, that we need to hear right now, is uh, when the world or when we are pressured to quit and to give up, that perhaps is when we need to look to Jesus even more. Is to look and remember how incredibly difficult it must have been for him to have gone all the way to Golgotha. And to go through the worst thing that anybody, any human being has ever experienced because of his not only experiencing the horror of the physical aspects of, cruci of uh, crucifixion, but his experiencing on some level that you and I can't even fathom, this uh, becoming a sin offering, even though he was sinless. He was willing to take all that, the wrath of the world, poured out intensely on him. And yet, he went there. He went there. And so when we're tempted by whatever it might be to compromise our faith, you know, uh, what the Hebrews writer here is saying, we don't, have, we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize. We don't have a high priest out there. We have a high priest who is Emmanuel. He walked among us. He is Jesus, the Son of God. God inhabited time and space here so that he could go through, not in some sort of a, like, uh, I, I know what you're feeling kind of thing, or I, I think I have an idea what you're feeling because you've described it to me, but, but rather he knows, he's, he sympathizes with us because he's been through it. Uh, stimulate any questions or comments? I'd all been talking the whole time. Anything, anything you guys want to add to uh, this? <laughs> All right, then.
All right, then. Um, that's fine. The encouragement for us is to remember in our weak moments, in our times of distress and pressure, to just to, to look to the example of Jesus who kept on going, you know, he kept on going, kept the, he, uh, he kept fighting the fight, you know. Merv. So. Yeah, yeah, that's... Mm -hmm. That's right, and the Hebrews writer makes that point for people joining us online. Merv's comment is that when we pray, we're praying to a God who ex has experienced the thing we're struggling with, and that's a great, a great comfort. And, you know, he says here, uh, we don't have time to talk about it now, but verse 16, we can come with confidence. We can draw near to the throne of grace. Why? Because we have a high priest who's, who's been through it. You know, he knows what it's like. Okay, uh, let's, let's pray as we close tonight. Lord, please be with us as we leave here. Help us to remember that we're your people and to live our lives in a way that honors you. We pray that as the storm comes through, as it keeps moving and comes through here later and keeps on going, we just pray for safety, pray for people who are uh, in the middle of, uh, of the winds and the rain right now, the flooding. We just pray for them and pray that you'll be with everybody in the path. You'd keep, uh, keep us all safe tonight, tomorrow. We love you. Help us to live for you in every way, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much.